Hi, everyone. My name is PK, and here I've got on the show today Chris Bates from Wealthful. Um, just to introduce Chris really quickly, he is a mortgage broker, one of the biggest out there in terms of volume of loans, written number 11th in Australia. He's also the host of a great podcast, which I sometimes listen to myself, called Elephant in the Room. Um, so go check out all that. But in this episode, we'll be talking about interest rates. I know a lot of people are kind of super fearful, especially if you're not a seasoned property investor, you're thinking, if I missed the bow, if, is this the wrong time to buy? How is the lending strategy in Australia going to affect me? How interest rates going to affect me? How's borrowing capacity going to affect me? Is everyone going to sell their properties? I know these are the things that everyone's talking about. Do you want to achieve wealth and passive income through property investing? PK Gupta, host of Oz Property Investment Mastery, will help you achieve passive income by buying top 5% growth and positive cash flow property and building a portfolio using data without you wasting months of time doing research, spending weekends at inspections, or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents each time. So if you are confused and overwhelmed by the amount of contradictory information available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. Thank you, first of all, Chris, for, for making the time. No worries. Good to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So let, I mean, let's just get, get into it. Um, and and but, but, by the way, guys, I found uh, Chris Bates on, on LinkedIn. I really found his posts super insightful. So if you are interested, go follow him there. But the first question I want to ask you is, let, let, let's just go with the big elephant in the room, but interest rates. Um, you know, what's your take on when interest rates will rise, how much they will rise, and what the impact will be on the national property market. Of course, no one has a crystal ball yeah. and there's markets within markets, so much nuance. But yeah. those are the things that people want to want to know. So if you could share just some insights, that would be super. Okay, cool. So, I mean, I don't really care when they rise. I mean, they're going to rise at some point, right? So whether it's this year or next year, I'm not that bothered. The thing that really matters is how far do they rise, okay? And like, do they go from you know, 0.1 to 3% and then are you paying 5% interest at the bank? Um, you know, that would have a huge impact. So how far they go is, is the real key question. I mean, you've got to be worried about this at the moment. The reason is that, you know, banks are pretty bad at forecasts. They, they, they get it wrong every year. But, I mean, the banks are coming out with big falls. Probably the most respected commentator I like out there, Chris Joy, he's called the whole up and down. Um, he's saying big four. So, you know, when people are doing this, they're talking about the whole market, right? And that's the first mistake people are making is that the market doesn't all move up in the same pace and doesn't fall in the same pace, which most people get, but they don't actually practical, they don't think that through in terms of their portfolio. Um, it's going to it's gonna rise. I mean, how far is going to be a bit of a hamstring on the economy? You know, the more they rise, um, basically, the less people are going to have to spend, the less people will spend, the slower the economy will go. So, you know, you're going to start to see those impacts. Um, I mean, a lot of people are saying that, you know, the RBA is going to go from you know, 0.1, maybe to 1.25, you know. Um, but I think competition, and that means your mortgage rate, which variable rates on home loans are around sort of low 2%, you know, as long as overseas funding stays cheaper, which is a bit of a risk at the moment, um, you know, you might be paying low 3% on your mortgage, right? It's not that bad, really, considering as long as you've got a job and you've, you know, all that sort of stuff, that's not really going to impact households, I don't think, you know, mm. and I, if it goes to 4% or 5%, this is when I think you will start to see some real problems. But a 1% increase, I don't think it's such a big deal. Um, and, you know, the first thing most people need to do is just stay on top of their mortgage strategy. I mean, what you get as a new customer versus an existing customer, 
pretty much changes the day you you settle your loan. You know, they'll be offering better deals to new customers. And if you, you know, you've got a loan at the moment, you're probably frustrated. If you look online, what you're getting on your online banking versus what they're advertising um, is quite a big difference. So the first thing you need to do is be staying on top of your loan structure. Um, you need to be extending your loan period because that reduces your repayments, playing with things like interest only um, if you're an investor. Um, and so just maintaining your loan structure and being smart there can sort of diminish the wage increase because your repayments may just stay the same or if not lower if you know what you're doing. So yeah. um, it will hit certain pockets and you do need to be careful. So if you think about it, if in- interest rates are going up, who's it going to affect the most? People with a lot of debt, right? Um, or people who haven't got many buffers. And so generally speaking, where there's a people have got a lot of debt are in new house and land packages, um, for example, because they're all going in with 90% loans, sometimes bigger, um, and they've all settled in the last two or three years because it's a brand new estate, right? And so yeah. you think about it, they're all got very low debt. They used all their deposit to buy the house. They're probably living, you know, got young families as well. So cash flow is sometimes really tight. One might be working, one not. Um, and, inc- and they haven't got much buffer because, you know, they've just put everything into the house. And if there is a bit of an unemployment spike or, you know, there's a global downturn as well as increase um, in interest rates, you could see unemployment rise and those sort of areas would be hit. Um, also areas where there's lots of investors, if interest rates jump a lot and people can't refinance and they can't, they're on principal and interest repayments as well. Um, so areas where there's really a glut of investors like high-rise apartments, those are the type of areas that would be hit as well. Um, but generally speaking, big established suburbs, you know, not every house has got a big debt on it. You know, 30% of properties, maybe even sometimes 40%, the house is paid off. They bought the house in 2000. Hmm. You know, 30% they probably bought, you know, 10 years ago um, around that. And that's probably half of what they it's worth today, right? And they've paid that debt off. So the debt's pretty low. Um, and then maybe, you know, 30% roughly has probably got medium or high debt. And so those hmm. 30% of people may be struggling. Um, but people will do everything they can to not lose their home. So they'll not go out for dinner. They won't go on holidays, et cetera. So increases of interest rate doesn't mean they're going to sell the house. They'll cut back on their lifestyle first. They'll work more hours. They'll do everything they can not to lose their property, basically, because they know that's their number one asset. So, yeah, be very careful buying into this higher interest rates, property market crash, um, because, you know, human psychology and human behavior overlays on that. Um, and also the government will as well. If the government starts to see any type of downturn, the government's number one asset is the Australian property market and they will do everything they can to slow any downturn as well. So, um, you know, with uh, first-time buyer grants, stamp duty changes, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. And, I mean, you didn't say this directly, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what strikes me, and, and we've talked about this before as well on, on the YouTube channel, on the podcast, that property real estate is where the majority of wealth of Australians sits including what you said before where the government you know it's kind of bedrock of the economy so if interest rates rise and you said they will they will rise people need to prepare for that you know when they rise the extent to which they rise will be dictated by the health of the housing market now it's not the RBA's job nor is it APRA's job to control house prices. They've said that very, you know, explicitly previously. 
But if there are mass sell-offs, I'm not saying there are, but if there is likely to be a mass sell-offs, then they'll just stop increasing those interest rates because that is the worst thing that could happen to the Australian economy. I would say, I don't know, I don't have the stats to back this up, but probably out of most economies around the world, especially developed OECD economies, Australia as a nation is probably most leveraged towards residential real estate than other nations around the world. So it's so important that the RBA doesn't overdo it. And I don't think they will. You know, our governor, I think if we had the previous RBA governor, they might have already uh, raised rates by now, but the current governor is a little bit coy, more circumspect. Some might say a bit more measured. So hopefully that that carries on. Um, The other point that you made, Chris, was, you know, high-rise apartments, new house and land packages, all that stuff. So uh, just to kind of, you know, go into that in uh, one level deeper, you know, for everyone who's watching, listening, you know, where we're talking about, or I'm talking about when Chris says that, you know, you've got your Western Sydney's, you've got the North side of Brisbane, you know, out past Caboolture, a lot of house and land packages, maybe parts of Logan, where there's a lot of concentration of investors from Sydney, Melbourne, they're basically the ones driving those prices up. It's not locals. I'm in Brisbane. Not many locals are buying in Logan more than last year. It's all investors. So yeah, you know, good times, rising tide lifts all ships. But these are great points that you're making, Chris. Just these are the areas, the pockets, Western yeah. Melbourne as well, most vulnerable. I'm not saying prices are going to fall all of a sudden, but most vulnerable to rising interest rates. I think what yeah. I want to ask you, Chris, is, you know, like, we're at record low interest rates. Two years ago, they were a little bit higher. If they rise again by one or one and a half percent, we're just going back to normal, what it used to be yeah. a, a year ago, two years ago. Take that and then also take the fact that the banks already buffer in two and a half, now three percent um, of extra interest rate when they look at whether someone can pay back their loan or not for serviceability. Even if interest rates rise by one or two percent, do you really think it's a crisis to the housing market or is it just going back to normal, something they already preempted? Look, people live different lifestyles and some people um, have got those loans on living expenses that are much lower than what they're actually spending. And, um, you know, there's just ways you can go through the banking system. So um, for those people who are living you know, spending lots of money, you know, living big lifestyles, for example, um, even if the bank's hedging them and saying, look, it's interest rates going up, they're going to probably have to make cutbacks because when their mortgage starts going more expensive, so that's going to slow the economy down, right? You know, those type of people. But I, I agree. I, I think that the hot, this people um, worried about big falls or looking at it as an opportunity next year after these big falls to get in, um, I think you're going to probably be uh, missing out because what you also got to remember is human psychology. So like 2018, Top of the, say, Sydney, Melbourne market was 2017. Uh, Royal Commission was happening in 2018. Prices were falling because getting access to credit was really hard. Um, Good properties just didn't come on the market. You know, busy streets, people who were worried about further down um, falls into the market, they were just getting Mm -hmm. out because they could. Poorer properties or people who don't think they're great assets, they come on the market because they're fearful. But the people who have got good properties and quality streets know it's a good asset. They say, well, I could have sold it last year for X. I'm not going to sell if it, you know, X minus 20%, right? So I'm just going to hold on. So what ends up happening in downturns, liquidity drives up of quality assets. And it's actually really hard. And what you'll find in those times, there'll be one quality listing and 10 poorer listings, busy roads, dark, privacy issues, et cetera. That one property on the Great Street, all the buyers flock there. 
And then all of a sudden that property gets competition and then that property still sells at a decent price because of competition. And so it's really hard to buy quality assets, even in downturns, because all the buyers flog there as opportunists Um, and also opportunists within the suburb. So, you know, if you know that your suburb's down, you say, well, actually, I've always wanted to live in that street or in that pocket to go to that school. Now's a good time to do it. And so while some people are pulling out of the market, you're also seeing people come into the market. Um, This is not what the media will say, right? The media flips pretty quick. On a Thursday, they can be saying the market's going up. And then on a Monday, after one auction clearance rates down, they say the market's falling. And so Mm. just be very careful around this and just focus on your micro market. Has it got real lack of supply? And, you know, especially the type of property, the better quality, the better, really long-term will pay off. Yeah. Uh, is there increasing demand, you know, over the longer term? And do I need to sell it in the short term? No. Okay, well, let's just say the fundamentals are sound. Let's just hold it. So, yeah, um, yeah it's very easy to get wrapped up into the, the media story because um, that's what sells a lot of news. No, absolutely. And and uh, it's, not, it's not actually that hard to, you know, for everyone who's watching and buying a property right now, and maybe a little bit scared by what you've said, or, or their ears have perked up about, you know, the right parts of the suburb, the right pockets you mentioned, you know, privacy, main roads, darkness, all these things are pretty easy to get right. You know, it's pretty easy to avoid a main road. It's pretty easy to buy north facing. It's pretty easy to buy not in front of a big power line or power station. Like these things aren't, aren't in rocket science. I mean, they're they should always be followed, but in- increasingly so. The other thing that I just wanted to highlight as well is I found that in the last maybe, I don't know, four or five years, whether the market is rising or the market is flat or maybe just dipping a little bit, there's still very low stock on market. It's almost like Australians, I don't know the right way to describe it. It's like, you know, they just don't want to sell for, for various reasons. Um, you know, on the way down, they don't want to sell for a loss. On the way up, they're going to hold out for a higher price. So it's that is what is really holding up the property market as well, just a lack of supply. And, and I think, you know, even if demand dips down because of lower borrowing capacity, because of higher interest rates, that supply story isn't changing. It, it's, it's staying, especially for good quality assets. Absolutely. So the turnover of housing um, is actually going less every year, you know, and so that's the amount of properties available for sale is how many properties, that's the supply, right? doesn't matter if we've got 10 million homes, amount actually for sale each year, that's how that's the actual supply you can get your hands on. And that's actually falling every year because lots of reasons, we can't, they, they can't afford to do the upgrade, you know, to go to a bigger house or it's a great street and they say, well, we're happy here. It's not perfect, but we're happy in this suburb. We've got kids going through schooling and if we did sell, we'd have to pay agents and stamp duty. And, yeah. you know, and I've already got to, I just want to pay my mortgage off. I don't want to go into more debt in my 40s, et cetera. So you're right. People are definitely staying in their homes longer and longer, which means every year supply is getting tighter of good properties. Um, yes, there's always new stock, right? House and land packages, apartments, et cetera. That's new available supply. But I don't heard your listeners, which just sounds like you were aligned there, that um, to not go near that. Um, and that's what, and what will happen is that, houses available that limited supply that are selling will actually decrease when prices are falling because people would say i'm sitting on my hands i'm not going to rush to the exit because if i have to if i sell my home i've still got to go and find another home so i'm yeah. selling in a down market trying to buy in a down market oh i, I don't know how much cash i'm going to get i'm just going to hop i can't see any other properties i like because there's no many other properties and everything just goes um sort of a bit flat during that period and and i think you'll be the expert in answering this question chris you know, like a lot of um, 
in my Facebook group, we have discussions around foreclosures and potential defaults. Same in every time we post a YouTube video, there's lots of comments saying, well, PK, you've missed the fact that interest rates go up. Everyone's going to have to sell their properties. You're, you're in the unique position where you're writing hundreds, if not thousands of loans. What's your take? Like, let's not go with a, a wealthy class. Let's just say the average Australian. Is the average Australian stretched in making their mortgage repayments right now? Will they be stretched if interest rates go up by half a percent, one percent? Like this is really the, the clincher of whether there's going to be a sudden drop. If supply goes up because people have to sell, yeah. that is what drops prices. Are people in distress right now? No. So I don't think they can be because they're situations that, you know, they had to take a new job and now they don't get bonuses or they've had a kid now they're on, on part-time. So they've gone from being you know, and higher income, their income's dropped and the living costs have gone up. You know, we know that sometimes living costs, whether it's childcare or whatever it is, right? And so they can be pretty tight and they can be running a pretty fine line. But I would argue that if something happened, if their interest rates goes up, firstly, they'll try to figure out if they can refinance. And there'll be people in that who get caught out. They've they borrowed on X income. Now their income's dropped and they can't refinance. Mm. And so then all their only option, if they start getting, you know, low on payments, um, They'll do everything. They'll go to family, you know. They will uh, sell everything they've got just to keep the house because they don't really want to sell the house, especially if there's other sales in the market that aren't um, who, are, who are rushing to the doors, you know, the exit, because then you'll see some lower prices and yeah. then you'll start to see some fire sales in the suburb. Um, and I do think these will only be in areas where you've got a higher portion of higher people with higher debt, so places like house on land packages. We saw this in the, you know, the credit crisis in places like Ireland and the US and things like that. That didn't hit across the whole country in every quality asset, but it really hit areas um, much harder than others, right? So, yeah, I mean, you do need to be worried about it, to be honest. If you're in that mm -hmm. position, you do need to make sure that you don't have to sell during that downturn because if prices do fall, it's going to take a number of years for them to come back. Um, and so... Yeah, and if you've owned one of those assets, well, you've got to be really sure it's something you're not going to want to transact in a few years' time. Like you, you're trying to do an upgrade from that into, you know, something a bit more established closer to the city. I'd probably be doing that sooner rather than later, mm. rather than just seeing how it goes and then, you know, et cetera, and then not being able to sell it for what you want. And then maybe the quality property that you want stay holds its value and you really lose out. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, yeah, absolutely. I do think there's already stats around sort of debt stress, you know, um, income's not rising, um, you know, and it, it is in these areas where you find it's the highest, unfortunately. And so um, that's where the pain will be first. Um, and it doesn't really hit the real top end. I mean, they don't usually care about interest rates too much. They were all lifestyle driven. Um, mm. The medium end, you know, can get hit, but it's usually only a small portion. It's that 30% of the properties within a suburb Mm. Um, that have got high debts, you're going to start to see a few of them come back on the market. Um, absolutely, because you know they got a two million dollar loan at two percent, and now rates are three and a half percent, and you know work's not going as well, and so now I need to list. And so you will see a bit more of a supply coming on there, but that's in an areas where there's just a real lack of supply. So mm. you're probably only going to get meeting the market um, in these areas. So and, and even when you just said that as well, I mean, this is really measured, you know, none of this is obviously financial advice, but that's really measured commentary by you. It's not just the, all the fancy glittery shiny, it, you're, you're kind of giving some of the, the downside risks as well. But what I've just taken is you've, you've used an example of a $2 million loan, right? And you, let's just talk about like, let's say Brisbane or Adelaide or 
we're uh, you know we're really big on regional areas to invest in places like Toowoomba and and you know other places like that. The affordability is so strong in these areas that it's almost like the polar opposite to your Western Sydney's. It's almost the polar opposite to your houseland package clusters in Western Brisbane or Northern Brisbane or parts of Logan. It's even if interest rates arose by two percent. I mean, I don't want to be t- talking out of turn, but let's just say Townsville. I'm not saying everyone should go and invest in Townsville, but no one's going to have to sell in Townsville because that affordability is so strong. The incomes are so strong compared to the property price, which is you know less than four hundred thousand dollars. So I think that that that's something to be um, considered, especially for investors looking to where they should buy next. It's probably not a good idea right now. I'm going to go on a limb and say to invest in Western Sydney and house land packages or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You need to find these areas where structurally the affordability is strong. And, you know, if you're buying a house, especially for investment purposes, you've got to have a long-term strategy to ride out these waves. You know, it's a 10, 20 year decision. And I think maybe I can just ask you one last question, uh, Chris, Rents are rising, right? Rents will likely continue to rise because we have such a um, social housing crisis at the moment. There's hardly anything for rent. I think I saw someone post the other day on LinkedIn that in all of Hobart, there's only 27 um, houses for rent. You know, and yeah. Hobart's a you know, it's not a tiny place. So there's a, a huge issue if you're a tenant or a renter. It's hard to find. Therefore, I mean, we live in a capitalistic, capitalistic society, fortunately or unfortunately, you know, rents are going to rise. How do banks look at that? You know, for investors right now, they know that capital growth should be good if they're investing in the right areas. Rents are going to be going up in most areas. How do banks look at that? Are they going to reward you in terms of future borrowing capacity when that $300 a week rent goes to $400 or $400 to $500? Is that enough to offset the interest rate rise or how should investors be thinking about that? Yes, yeah, so there's probably two points. Back onto your, your Townsville um, conversation there. Even within Townsville, though, there's two parts to the market and you can break any city, any, you know, town, whatever you want down into this. And you've got the aspirational part, which is people who are doing well financially in Townsville, where do they want to live, right? And as the city grows, there's a growing portion of people doing well financially. It's just unfortunately, like you said before, it's the way it works. Do they want to live in these suburbs? Now, if the things driving that suburb is affordability, it's cheap then that's usually telling you a lot about the people who are buying the properties, but also the people who own the properties. And those areas will be matched, will be hit harder if it's driven by affordability rather than aspiration because you've got different buyers Mm. uh, and different owners. Your point around sort of um, do you borrow, can you borrow more money if your rents go up? Absolutely. But, you know, the thing to be able to build out a multi-portfolio property, and it's not about a number of properties, it's about the market exposure and the quality of that market exposure. But the thing that you need to build that out is income. Income is what you can get a six or a seven times multiple on, whereas rent, um, the increase in the higher rent, you know, it gets haircut by 20%. So your extra 100 bucks a week sounds like a lot of money. That's five grand a year. Well, that's going to get haircut by 20%. So that's only four grand a year. And that four grand a year, you can probably borrow six or seven times, so 20 grand borrowing capacity. It's not a huge increase. You know, it's a bit of a myth out there that higher rents will allow you to borrow a lot of money. 
what you do need to do if you really want to build a portfolio is work on your income, you know, look at ways to, you know, get a promotion or swap jobs to a job that's going to pay you what you deserve or, you know, do another job or a side hustle or start a business or et cetera. Um, you can't really sort of just have a lower income and build a big portfolio up. Those days were more like 2014. You know, yeah. 2014, you could leverage off, off rents because you could borrow 10, 12 times rent, you know. And so if you had an extra 100 bucks a week, that was five grand a year. Well, you could probably borrow another 60, 70 grand, right? It's, it's a big difference. Um, and so, uh, and you could leverage, you know, 10 times your income as well, right? So it's not like that today. Yeah. And, and I would say that that's really insightful. I don't think many people fully understand that, that even if you're buying a positive cash flow property, let's say it's a five and a half, six percent yield, that doesn't get you closer to the next property let's, let's, in terms of borrowing capacity. We're not living 15 years ago, we can buy 200 properties in two years or anything like that. Those days are gone. But at the same time, because it's more strict in terms of those multiples, there's more cushion, there's more stability in the housing market, in, in the finance um, sector. So look, I, I'll probably leave I it there. I definitely agree with you because back when, the, when it was more relaxed, you did have this quantity strategy. We've seen many of these clients and they're bought in areas with other lots of investors that bought and they would come to us um, and those areas you know, haven't performed as well because investors have been dominating the market and then as prices have risen a little bit, they've realised they weren't going to work and they started selling. And so, and then you had to have new investors in there, et cetera. Um, mm. And so those areas were definitely getting um, unbalanced because they were, because investing was so easy, they get investors get funneled into an area. So now that things are much tougher, yeah, you're creating less problems. Investors haven't been in the market for three, four, five years, right? Um, investors always come to the party late, you know, they want to see a, what did it do last year? And then they base, they come to the to the party there, whether it's stock markets or whether it's property. And so investors are just now increasing in numbers. Um, and so we have less of these sort of investor gluts like we did back in 2015, which were, um, yeah. And the problem with investor gluts is you've got lots of people, about properties available for rent. Every investor means it's a rental property. And so, you know, you don't want to be buying where the market's dominated by investors because that means whenever you try to rent your property, you have a lot of other properties available for rent as well. And what mm. drives rents up is like you were saying in Hobart, 27 houses for rent, okay? So, you know, there's going to be someone who's really keen to own rent something and they're just going to pay whatever, you know. They yeah. need something tomorrow. They're going to potentially be homeless, for example. That's sort of the reality here. And um, that's sort of, you know, from a – obviously, you've got the social issue here, right? But that's something the government needs to sort, you know. This is a 100%. big problem the government doesn't want to sort out because it makes too much money off increasing property prices and stamp duty and development of land. Um, and so this is a big problem at a government level that they need to take ownership on. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's the age old question, but ultimately the only thing that's going to fix that is supply. And you think about our big cities, there's not much more supply. So you got to go regional. We need better infrastructure, better transport networks, all that kind of thing. Yep, that's true. And talk about that for, for hours. Um, I think last question, I know I mentioned that before that was the last question, but I think everyone will want to know, I mean, Everyone knows my views on where is good to buy, where is not good to buy nationally. But maybe your views, we're not going to hold you to it. Um, Chris, you don't have to go super specific if you don't want to. But let's say from 
through a lens of everything we've talked about, you know, not following the herd, not just buying where all the other investors are buying, is there will be a glut of investors and when they leave, prices are going to be vulnerable. All these things that we've been talking talking about, which are the areas around Australia? And I know markets within markets and then markets within those markets and streets and all that kind of thing. But, you know, everyone wants to know this. So where are some of the areas or suburbs or, you know, and any tips that you could give our listeners, our watchers of from a finance perspective where it still may make sense to invest? Okay, so you've got your cities and then you've got your sister cities and, and, and brothers that are kind of piggybacking off the capital cities. And I'd say that they're the quality regions, the ones that can commutable to Melbourne and Sydney. And then you've got real regional areas where you've got the local community and local, um, you know, town doing its thing and there's jobs, et cetera. COVID changed a lot of things, right? So if you had to be in the city five days, then you had a real pressure cooker in the city. But I don't think return to work is going to go back like that. I don't think that's what the talent of today will take jobs that are five days in the city. So I do think this work from home thing is going to shift. But that's a big thing because I do think long-term Australia is going to have lots of migration. You know, it's our ticket to grow our economy. And so we've got 25 million, let's say. Now we're going to have a lot more than that in 20 or 30 years' time. And we haven't got lots of cities. You can't just pop up another Sydney or Melbourne. So our capital cities are going to grow. And you've just got to understand how they're going to grow. They're going to grow greenfield estates. You're going to get high-rise apartments. And you're going to get townhouses in the middle ring, right? But within each city, there's sort, sort of pockets that have got maybe nature or maybe it's the topography of the land or maybe it's um, a lot of big houses that have got a real strong um, NIMBY mentality. Those will be little sanctuaries within our city, right, where there's no new townhouses, there's no new houses getting built, there's no new apartments, right? Every city's got these. Those little areas, um, especially if they've got good connectivity to the city and they appeal to young, aspirational, higher-income families, will be the ones that perform. The areas where they're going to knock down blocks and build townhouses and new apartments and um, got bad infrastructure to the city, they're the ones that are going to lag. So you can overlay that sort of mentality within any city and it's mm. easy to sort of figure it out i could go and do that in townsville you know within a couple of hours just by thinking it through how is this city going to grow where's the old money where's the bigger houses mm. um, so i mean what is it um it comes down to price point so if, to get into that city or that town you need a certain price point to get into those quality um assets a, a suburb that's got fundamental flaws isn't going to just become a premium suburb. It can be near a premium suburb, and it's, so it's nothing fundamentally about it. It's just that, that there's not enough people to make that a real premium suburb, so it can gentrify. But fundamentally, um, you know, a greenfield estate won't become a, you know, a premium place to live. It just hasn't got the same lifestyle benefits. So mm. I think every city's got you know, potential, right? Every city's got these pockets. And as long as it's got, you know, strong income and strong local employment and then people moving there that are you know are on decent incomes then you've got income growth you know actual demand growth and you've got limited supply and so you want to buy those properties i mean you could buy great spots in brisbane you can buy great spots in in sydney and melbourne and, and perth but to be honest you know you are going to be buying a lot more expensive than you were 12 months ago you know because mm -hmm. these areas what we've been saying for clients for years this is where clients were buying stuff in Brisbane at seven and nine hundred, and now they're like one three to one seven, you know. Or in Melbourne, they're buying at one point one, and now they're one point seven, and Sydney, etc. So, you know, these are the the to get into those suburbs in the capital cities, it's expensive, and then in the regions, it, it is definitely more affordable. But it's got to be the aspirational end of the market because 
Um, that's where the money flows. It, it flows into those sort of properties. Um, so, yeah, that's that's sort of uh, the crux of it. The sister cities are definitely also having a bit of a day in the sun as well, like the Central Coast and Wollongongs and Mornington Peninsula and Geelongs. Um, and so you just got to be very careful buying into these cities at the moment because there has been low stock and the quality hasn't been great and they're big prices. Hmm. Um, and so you just got to... You do need to be a bit careful because the, the growth you're talking could be 60%, 70% in these places in, in, in 12 months, you know, um, and you just got to be careful that a bit more stock doesn't come on and a bit of demand falls off and then it just levels out at a much lower sort of ceiling. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's – thank you for that. I, I really appreciate it and hopefully all the, the listeners and, and, and viewers appreciate that there's markets within markets and don't buy at the top of the market, obvious sort of statement. But if somewhere's already grown 60 or 70%, then, you know, just be very careful. Uh, and I think the other thing I took away from what you just said is it's okay not to buy a million, million and a half dollar investment property. Other areas are okay, regional areas as well. But just be careful about finding those areas within those towns where, which are aspirational. That's where the money's flowing. That's the ones that are being more and more gentrified. You know, just it's I like how you said it'll only take you two hours to figure that out in Townsville. That's that's the reality of it. Mm. Anyone can do it. It's it's not rocket science. Um, yeah, and just think about your buyer. Don't think about, oh, it's easy to rent. Biggest mistake ever, you know, because a good property is easy to rent because it's a great property, you know. So that should be it. You know, um, it should be quite hard to find. Like in terms of the area and the street and where you want to be, should be should be easy but then actually to find that property there should be very little turnover on good streets you know like you know there's only a few sales then so you've got to have a few different areas you look at but you've also got to just be thinking about you know the buyer you know who would really want to own this and ideally you want a double income higher income family because hmm. if if they don't want it then your demand the people who you know could be the the cashed up retiree so a you know a south coast you know beautiful house near the water or something. That's different. That's the retiree market who are selling out of capital cities. So that's a good market to hit. But if you can't hit that market, then hit those double income, high income families if you can, because they're the ones who have got the borrowing capacity. They're the ones who have got other investments, et cetera. And then they're the ones who are going to push the price up, you know, rather than a single or a low income family. If they want your property, great. But if they haven't got the income on the cash to buy it, they're not going to push prices up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another thing. Really focus on your buyer and, um, and then the quality of um, that listing in terms of what's on the marketplace. And so then be patient. You know, if you're looking to buy, it's unlikely you're going to buy within a couple of weeks. You know, it could happen. You could get lucky, but you need to be patient. Um, it's taking, I can say for probably safely say for my clients, at least it's taking them at least a month, you know, maybe up to two months sometimes to secure a property, not because they don't know where to buy. They're just, there's no stock on market. They have to wait for it. But I think we've covered a lot of ground, Chris. I'm super appreciative of you coming on at, at very short notice. Everyone who's listening or, or watching, Chris, former financial planner, um, I believe, now mortgage broker, works um, at his own place called Wealthful, number 11, according to volume, mortgage broker in Australia. I was going to say in the world for a second, in Australia. <laughs> and um, also the host, co-host, co-host of Elephant in the Room podcast. So yeah, once again, it's great to, great to chat. Awesome to come on and I really appreciate the chat. Cool. Thanks, Chris. See you guys. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Bye. Bye.